You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Hey, it is great to see all of you here in the room tonight, this morning. I'm saying tonight because I was at the worship event and I kept saying good morning to everyone that night. So evidently I've got them reversed. And for all of you who are joining us online, in person or hearing or watching this as a recording later, so glad that you're with us as well. So as we prepare to dive into God's word together, I just want to take one more moment here to lead us in prayer. I know that what's going on in Europe with the war in Ukraine is, is heavy for a lot of us. And I just want to pray for God's work there. So would you please join me in that? Lord Jesus, again, I thank you for each person who's in the room, who's with us online, as part of our online community. Lord, together we come to you and we pray for peace in Ukraine. God, would you bring an end to that war? And Lord, we think of your church where there are people in both countries who are caught in the middle of this. And we pray that your church would be a light to those around them, that they would be your hands and feet that they would stand for righteousness and truth, that they would stay bonded to you and to one another through community. And Lord, that you would use them to proclaim your hope. And Lord, we ask that you would bring an end to this this war, to this conflict. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would bring an end to um, those who are propagating and, and forcing this war to happen. Lord, we think in particular of Putin. And God, we pray that he would come to know you Lord, what a testimony that would be to see this man transformed in front of everyone, just like the Apostle Paul was back in the day. You can do that. We pray that you would. But if he won't repent, if he won't respond to your grace, we pray that you will stop him through whatever means you you deem appropriate, Lord, however your will would be done. And that's what we pray is your will. And Lord, we thank you that it is your heart, your desire for us to see you and to experience you and to know you. And so we ask that as we open your word now, you will reveal yourself to us so that we can follow you and love you and experience the blessings you promised to us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. 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 So I was uh, reading an article earlier this week. It was an article on leadership. And uh, it asked some very penetrating questions about evaluating your character and just how you respond to, to frustrating or difficult situations. And as I read that and looked through that, I thought, okay, if I'm doing this, you're going to do it with me. So you're going to hear and look and do business with some of these questions that I was doing business with, okay? So I guess you could call these character reveals. What's, what's down there when these things happen to you? So would you, um, production team, would you, thank you very much. It's not showing up here though. Would you activate the screen for me up here? So I'll read this question to you, and it is this. How do you respond when someone takes your parking spot? (laughs) This was tested for me last weekend. Do you remember last weekend? We had that atmospheric river overhead, and it parked overhead right here in Gresham in Portland, and it just unloaded. Remember how hard it was raining last weekend? Well, our daughter had come um, from grad school to see us, And so it was time to take her back to the airport. So we drove out to the airport, and of course it's pouring. She gets out of the car, goes into the airport, and we decide, hey, we're never out here. We're going to go to Cascade Station. We need something from Home Goods or whatever it was. And so we decide to go to Cascade Station, and so did the rest of Portland. 
they joined us. And so we pull into this huge mall with all these parking spots and it's full. I've never seen anything like it. There literally were no parking spots and there were a number of cars like us just running up and down the aisles looking for a parking spot and finally one opened and I waited for the person to back out, turned on my blinker, was all ready to go and here came another car right into it. You know, how do you respond to something like that? Or how do you react to slow internet? I mean, we live in the world now of 5G, right? Come on, we don't have time for, for slow phones and slow devices, but I have found myself instantly getting frustrated when that happens. Or what about this? What is your voice like on social media? Do you say things on social media you would never say to someone in person? Or how do you respond to other people's social media voices? These kind of tough questions. Or in that vein, how do you respond to critics? When someone's critical of you, do you search for that kernel of truth that might be there? Or are you instantly angry and defensive? Or what about this? How do you respond to difficulty, to adversity, to struggle? You know, there's a saying that goes like this, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And these kinds of situations, some are nuisances, some are truly challenging and difficult and hard, kind of reveal what's down there. And so this morning we're going to look at what sustaining faith looks like. A faith that can be tested and tried and still is intact, still survives. In fact, maybe even grows through those kinds of things. We've looked at the reality of saving faith in prior weeks. We're looking at the reality now of sustaining faith. And just to reset things, when we're talking about faith, we have to understand that faith starts with belief. And again, in God's word, when you see the word belief, it's always an action word. It's always more than just a mental assent or a mental agreement with something. It's about acting on what is down in the well. It is about living out what it is that you believe. And the reality is not if you have faith. That's not the question. The real question is, what is your faith in? Everybody has faith. You have faith in something or someone, but where really is that faith? What is your faith in? And can your faith do what Jeremiah's did? Because now we come to this point in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah has had this ministry of 22 years where he keeps going to this people privately, mostly publicly, and calling them back from their brokenness and selfishness and sin back to the Lord. And he gets responses from apathy to, you know, who cares, to outright hostility and difficulty. And we jump back to last week where Gabe took us in the chapters that precede this one. And we see that Jeremiah is told by the Lord, take a representation of the elders and priests and take them out by this one gate that overlooks the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And you're going to give them an object illustration. And do you remember what Gabe did last week? He, he mirrored what Jeremiah did in this directive, this call to repentance to the elders and priests. He took this, this jar and he broke it. And I'm visual. I, I love object illustrations. I wanted to stand up and cheer when Gabe did that. In fact, it made me think, what can I break this week? Really, <laughs> is there something I can break? But, you know, 
don't want to necessarily do that every week. But the reality being, Jeremiah was demonstrating, this is what's going to happen to you and to our entire nation if you don't turn back to God, stop being selfish, stop living sinfully, and if you choose not to repent. And so he breaks this vase. And now we're going to pick up the story after what happened from there, and we're going to get this view of what sustaining faith really is all about. So Jeremiah then returned from Topeth, where the Lord had sent him to prophecy, where he broke the jar, and stood in the court of the Lord's temple and said to all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring on this city and of all the villages around it every disaster I've pronounced against them because they were stiff-necked and would not listen to my words. When the priest Pashur, son of Immer, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in stocks at the upper gate of Benjamin at the Lord's temple. Now, when it says he was beaten, it's not necessarily that, you know, he got a group of people together and they just wailed on him. No, more likely he was flogged. So there was a, a rod or a cane or whatever, and he was hit 40 times on the back, as hard as that person could do it over and over and over again. So his back is laid open, it's bloody, it hurts, it's exposed, it's probably throbbing from pain, and then he's put in stocks. You ever been put in stocks? Yeah, me neither. But, but I know someone who, who did. He was a friend of mine back in college, and um, he had gotten involved in some things that he shouldn't have, found himself in a Mexican jail, and he literally got put in stocks for the night. And stocks were designed to hold your, your arms and your legs and your, and your whole body in such a position that you couldn't move. It was profoundly uncomfortable. Your muscles would cramp up. Imagine what that was like with your back laid open from getting flogged 40 times. And this is what happens to, to Jeremiah. And the reason he's there, the reason this happens to him is because he's doing exactly what God told him to do. He's being faithful to God. He's doing what God told him to do, saying what God told him to say. And this, this is where it, where it gets him. And how does he respond? Many scholars believe, and it, it makes sense to me in the flow of the passage, that if we jump forward to chapter, excuse me, to verse 7, we begin to see a look into Jeremiah's heart that night he was languishing in jail, beaten, sore, frustrated, hurt, confused. And you're going to see this cascade of emotions come to the surface, but it's going to inform us and help us understand what sustaining faith is all about. But look how this starts. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Now let's stop there for a minute. When it says you deceived me, Lord, this is a word that goes beyond just lying to someone. This is about seducing someone into a place that they can't escape from. It was a word that was used to describe how a man would seduce and then rape a woman. I mean, this is, this is ugly. This is more than just a lie. And who is he saying this to? He's saying this to God. God, you lied to me. You overpowered me. The only reason this happened is because you're, 
you're a cosmic bully. You're bigger than I am, and so you ran me over. And because of you, this is your fault, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. You, you've been mocked lately? Is there anyone who likes to be mocked? And we've seen this through the travels of this book that Jeremiah over and over again is getting mocked and scorned and made fun of. And it's because of the message that God has given him that this is happening. Look at what else he goes on to say. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And his message is one of violence and discretion destruction. How fun was that to that be the message at this point for 22 years? He's been doing this week after week, month after month, year after year, the same message, different forms, but the same message. And this is what the message is about. And so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. I mean, basically the translation of this is this is all your fault, God. This is your fault. Can you talk to God like that? Should you talk to God like that? Well, he's not making theological statements here. These are emotional statements here. This is the cry of his, of his heart. And he's struggling here. It's vivid and it's, and it's, and it's powerful. But even though these aren't theological statements, I think there is some very necessary theology for us to understand here. A sustaining faith is an authentic faith. It is a real faith. If you can't talk to God about how you're really feeling, who are you supposed to talk to? Now, for sure, there are some lines here if we progress further on and we just don't have time to jump to the very end of the passage, he's going to curse the very day he was born. And he goes right up to a line there. He never curses God and he doesn't curse his parents because under Old Testament law, if you cursed your parents, that was the death penalty. He doesn't go to those lines, but he goes, he doesn't cross those lines rather, but he goes right up, right up to them because he's lamenting. We have, we have studied this practice as, as a church family in our communities at Grace. A number of you have participated in that. And one of those, one of those exercises in just learning and understanding that discipline, that practice, was to actually write a lament. That if you were in a season of lament, how about you put words to that? What would you say to God? Not telling God to, that you hate him or that you curse him. But, but what is the cry of your heart? How do you express your pain? And this was a lament that came to, to me, and I asked permission from this person to read this and understand this person, boy, they have been up against so, so much hardship in their life. They have cancer, and they've been fighting it for years. Um, they're in constant pain. They lost their spouse in recent years. I mean, they've, they have been through it, and this is what they wrote in their lament. Oh, God, I am so tired. I am bone-weary tired of pain, tired of grief upon grief, tired of waiting for relief, tired of trying to believe that you love me after all the suffering you have allowed in my life, tired of stumbling along in the darkness with only the faintest glimpses of your light. What have I done to incur your wrath? 
I know I don't love and trust you as much as I should, but I'm not sure how all this suffering is supposed to change all that. Your word says you're full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness, Psalm 40, 14. I know that you bless me in thousands of ways, even as you seem to withhold healing of my deepest wounds. If it is not your will to heal me, then please help me to be able to hold on to my faith in your character and be content with the mystery. Please deal with me according to your name, not according to my righteousness. For your tender mercy's sake, deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. Psalm 109, 21 through, through 22. When's the last time you were that honest with God? Are you authentic with him, even when it's not pretty? Because the reality is, God's word never tells us to pretend things are better than they are. And I think sometimes we hold ourselves to a standard that not only isn't realistic, it isn't what God wants for us. I think sometimes this watching world looks at our faith and they turn away from it because... It doesn't seem to be very real or relatable. And yet we see this this necessary processing that Jeremiah is going through with all the hardship and difficulty that that has come to him. And we live in this culture that is seeped in fear and anxiety and depression and difficulty, and they need hope. And the reality is you can find God just as much on a mountaintop as you can in the pit. He's in both places. And there's a very necessary process we have to go through in order to find that hope. And we actually see Jeremiah doing that in this very passage. Remember what God said to him when he called him to this ministry, when he laid out basically the plan for the rest of Jeremiah's life in the beginning of this book. Let's go back there. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. And evidently Jeremiah had said, I'm not up to this. I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Pretty amazing promises there. But what exactly does God promise Jeremiah when he calls him to this ministry? Does he say you will never get hurt? No. Does he say you will never be wronged? No. Does he say you will never be misunderstood? No. Does he say you will never be mocked or slandered? No. Does he say you'll never be beaten with rods and thrown in prison? No. A key dynamic of sustaining faith, faith that stands the test of difficulties and hardship and struggle and pain and loss is to make sure that that faith is realistic. Because what happens sometimes is we put God on the hook with our expectations for things he never promised us. And I struggle at times with this in my own life. 
Man, some hard things come my way, and for all of us, especially the last couple of years, have been extremely difficult. And it's so easy to get angry with God and to misunderstand what God actually promises us. Because again, if we think reasonably, realistically, back to that passage that, that we saw there in the beginning of Jeremiah, what does God promise Jeremiah? He promises him his power, his presence, his promises, but he does not say what that's going to look like or how that's going to be in Jeremiah's life. So what does the Lord promise us? Every day is going to be a good day. Your spouse is going to intuitively know what you need and always give it to you. And by the way, I promise that all of you who want to get married eventually will. I promise that you'll never lose anyone in your life. I promise that you'll have a job that fulfills you every day, that your feet will hit the floor, you will love to go and experience it. No. No. But we sometimes treat God like he gives us those kind of promises, don't we? What did Jesus say in John 16, 33? A chapter where he talks about the very realities we're looking at here. He promises us his power, his presence, his promises. And then he says at the end of that chapter in 1633, but in this world, you will have trouble. A sustaining faith is a realistic faith. We have to do business with our expectations and what actually God promises us. And this is really, really interesting in the flow of this lament that Jeremiah has. He's, he's caught. He's really in this, this awkward, difficult place. Look what he goes on to say. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I'm wary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I, I, am, I am caught in the middle. There's this fire that burns within me. I have to proclaim and, and, and shout and live out the word of God. It's a fire that I can't contain, but when I do it, it puts me right into the fire with what happens to me. So I could just stop speaking and, and, and proclaiming this message the Lord's given me, but, but I just, I can't. That, that ever happened to you? You ever seen an injustice that you didn't, couldn't just pass by? You had to speak about it. You had to act on it. You had to do something about it. Or, or a manipulation or a hypocrisy or a wrong. You just you couldn't pass by it. You had to say something, knowing that it might cost you. Knowing that you just couldn't let it go. I respect people like that. I want to be like that. Because God's truth needs to be proclaimed and it needs to be lived out. We should speak to injustice. We should do something about it. We should call sin, sin. Now, how we do that matters. But we see that even going on in this world today. I mean, with this war going on in Ukraine, do you know how many Russians have been arrested for protesting? You're not allowed to protest or speak out in Russia. And people are doing it anyway. There are so many people who have stood up and said, this is wrong. They've had to build camps because they're out of prison space. They can't contain all of them. And caught in the middle of that is the church. The church in Russia is being the church. 
They're standing for truth. They're calling what's wrong, wrong. I, I, I don't know if you saw this article. I saw this article across USA Today a couple days ago. There was a, an independent news broadcast that heard that the government was coming to shut them down because they were speaking out about what was going on. So they beat them to the punch. They resigned. They, they walked off the set and said, you're not going to arrest us. We quit. Because if you don't want to hear the truth, then we're not going to waste our time with you. We'll go proclaim it elsewhere. They're probably in a prison somewhere. But we see this happening. And it's something that we need to, to, to live out personally in our relationships. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 in the New Testament, when it talks about what spiritual maturity looks like, it says it's speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth, but how we do it matters. But sometimes we don't because we're afraid. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of how people will respond. We're afraid of what people will think of us. And we see this fear now settling into Jeremiah's heart because he goes on to say this. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. My friend, fear distorts reality. And that's why we have to do business against it. All his friends are waiting for him to slip, really? And yet as we read on in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 38, when he gets thrown into a cistern because the king and his officials are finally trying to make him shut up, who is it that rescues him from that pit? It's his friend named, I gotta get this right, Ebed-Melech. Isn't that a great name? Good old Ebed-Melech comes along, puts his life on the line, lifts Jeremiah out of this empty cistern he had been thrown into, Really, all your friends are against you? Of course not. It's not reality. But fear distorts reality. It sure felt like it. It, it really did. And we live in a world that is afraid, that is seeped in fear. We are bombarded by a media that promotes fear, especially fear of the unknown. And as I was thinking about, gosh, how do you do business with, with not just the what-if fears, but legitimate fears, things that we should be afraid of. And I was reminded of our brother, Gary Brashears. As you know, Gary is up against, or maybe you don't, Gary's up against three different kinds of cancer that are at war in his body. And as he started this journey, he's been very, very public about how he's choosing to do business with all the fears that come with, with cancer. And this is what he put up on his blog and, and what we've heard him talk about. But I'm calling these melanoma faith lessons from Gary Brashears. Look to the past for lessons, not regrets. Boy, is there wisdom in that. Build pleasant plans on what I know, not on what I don't. The future is where the what-ifs are. That's where Satan lives. So don't hang out with him there. I have no control over that. But so much fear comes from that. And Jesus is in the present. Look for him because he's easy to miss. I think there's some real wisdom there. And somehow, in some way, Jeremiah does business with his fear. In fact, we're going to see how he does it. Because look how this tax and turns in the progression of what he's saying. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail 
and be thoroughly disgraced, their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteousness and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I've committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. So what happened there? He was just in the pits of despair. He is, he is lamenting. He's crying out that everybody, including his friends, have abandoned him. And then he says this. And I think we can see what happened. He remembers what God has told him. He remembers what God has promised him. Not what he thinks God said to him, but what God actually promised and told him. And you know, we don't have time to go into the verses that follow this, but in these following verses, he's right back into the pit of despair. Curses the day he was born and talks about his struggle. And I think that's because faith is not a linear journey. There are ups and downs that you can literally experience in the same moment. But what we see him doing here is remembering what God has actually promised him. There's been this progression of faith in the middle of the night. And what happens the next day is profoundly revealing because he goes back to the very man who ordered his beating and imprisoned him. And he says this to him, the next day when Pasher released him from the stocks, Jeremiah said to him, the Lord's name for you is not Pasher, but terror on every side. For this is what the Lord says, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends because with your own eyes you will see them fall by the sword of their enemies. I will give all of Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon. And this is the first time it's revealed to us in the book of Jeremiah. Who is that foe from the north that God is going to use to judge the nation? It's Babylon, the world's second greatest superpower. Babylon will carry them away to Babylon and put them to the sword. I will deliver all the wealth of this city into the hands of their enemies, all its products, all its valuables, all its treasures of the kings of Judah. They will take it away as plunder and carry it off to Babylon. And you, Pasher, and all who live in your house will go into exile to Babylon. There you will die and be buried, you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. How much courage do you think it took for Jeremiah to go look that guy in the eye and tell him what God had told him to tell him? And we don't really have a frame of reference for this, but in the ancient Near East, names meant everything. And your name revealed your character of who you would be or who you actually were. And so for Jeremiah to change Pasher's name at the direction of the Lord was really significant. Because he's basically saying, I'm going to change your name because this is what the future holds for you. All the terror that you've introduced into other people's lives and to my life, it's going to come back on you. In fact, your friends, all the people you lead are no longer going to trust your leadership because you're someone who can't be trusted. And the terror that you have talked about and visited on other people is going to visit you. And you will die in a foreign land which was an anathema to any Jew. To die outside the promised land was considered a curse. And that's exactly what's going to happen to you. How can he so confidently go back to the very man who has ordered his beating and put him in prison? I think it's because he has hope. 
Something happened in that night in the cycles of despair and depression and hopelessness. He found hope because he remembered and re-anchored himself to what he knew to be true. The communities at Grace, we've now transitioned from studying lament to studying hope. And we, we had our first lesson on that this last week together. And as we were talking about that in our, our community, I was reminded of just the reality of, of what hope does for us. Many years ago, my wife and I got to go um, sailing with her brother. He has a sailboat. They anchor it up in the San Juans. And at the time, our kids were little. And uh, so we went on this sailboat, my first time ever being on a sailboat overnight. And, and we had, you know, gone all over the, the islands up there and had anchored next to an island called Susha, just inside the, the harbor there. And where we anchored, what we didn't realize was that there were some really strong currents that still came at us. So we dropped anchor, went to sleep, and the boat moved the entire night. And the anchor jingled and jangled. And I kept thinking, we're going to end up in Canada. And as it continued on through the night, I thought, I better brush up on my Russian because that's where we're headed. Because it felt like we just kept drifting further and further and further. And we woke up the next morning and I'd gotten like an hour of sleep, you know, blurry-eyed with my gallon of coffee in hand and looking around as I came up on the deck and we were exactly where we had started the night. We were right where we had been anchored. And the reality is there are these currents of life that will come at us. And many of them will be hard and difficult. But if we have our faith anchored in the hope that God promises us, yeah, we'll be buffeted by that. Sometimes it'll knock us over, but, but we'll stay anchored to what we know is true. What God said is true. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up as we prepare to take communion. What is this hope for our soul that is firm and secure? Well, communion reminds us of that. Communion reminds us that we have a God who sees us in our brokenness, sees us in our desperation, sees us in our need, and he actually does something about it. He comes to this world, fulfills the promise that he gave thousands and thousands of years ago, lives the spirit-filled life, what a life of blessing looks like, what a life of right relationship looks like between us and God and us with one another. He dies on a cross in our place, rises again to new life, and offers us this hope that's yours to have. And all you and I have to do is respond to it and make it our own. So for those of you who are joining us online, now is a good time for you to get whatever communion elements you have available to celebrate communion. And for those of you who are here in the room, we're going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come on up. Folks, come on up and get the elements ready. And would you come forward and receive these elements and then take them back to your chair and hold on to them because we'll celebrate communion together. But let's remember what this God has done for us and the hope that he gives us. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.